Broadcasting live from hell, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible women talk about horror. My name's Louisa, and I'm joined by my enchanting coven. Mila, Taya, and Zeba. And this episode is all about teen horror. First up, we are discussing Kinji Fukusaku's 2000 gory global phenomenon, Battle Royale. Next, we are analyzing the 1999 Korean ghost film, Memento Mori, directed by Kim Tae-young and Min Kyu-dong. Finally, we will be talking about witches in Andrew Fleming's 1996 cult classic, The Craft. Enjoy! So does anyone have any interesting high school stories or stuff you want to talk about from when you were a teen? I have a story. Um, I don't want to talk about it, but I shall because it's so on brand because we're talking about uh, Memento Mori and I have a story related to a diary that I brought to school. This already sounds terrifying. <laughs> no, it really, you know what? It, it goes exactly how you'd expect it to go. Um, so basically, I had this tiny little diary. It was like the size of my palm. It was like one of those keychain ones that you get for like free. And I kept it in my pencil case because I don't know why I felt like I needed to have a diary to school. I was just like, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. And I need to write them in the moment. I can't wait till I get home. Idiot, right? So I had, um, I kept it in my pencil case. And this one guy, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say his name. I'm going to put him on full blast. Ian Fryer. Oh, well. oh, we have the first and the last. Wow, first and last. Uh, Ian Fryer went down my pencil case without asking me because he needed a pen. And he found it and he read it. And like three pages in, I had written... I'm not going to say his name because this is embarrassing. Let's call him Bob. <laughs> I had written... <laughs> I had written, Bob is a sex god, um, because oh I had god. read, I had Angus read Thumbs that book. It's not game. Yes, I'd read Angus, and but it wasn't a thing like in like when I grew up in um, California. So obviously, people would think that I literally meant sex god, like I was trying to pretend like I'd slept with him, or that I actually was thinking about sex when really I just meant like it was quite innocent. I just meant that he was hot. It was all lies anyway, but, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, so he went down my pencil case and I was like, oh my God. And he was like laughing and I was like, please don't tell anyone. Like, please just don't, you shouldn't have even been in my stuff. And, uh, lo and behold, he told everyone, including Bob, (laughs) laid out all my business. It was so embarrassing. And I was like kind of a gangly little awkward teen. So he was he was objectively the hottest guy in school at the time and only dated the cheerleaders so it was so embarrassing like I would have never publicized this crush I would have kept it all to myself but Ian told everybody and now I checked his Facebook like a few years back and he's a Republican are we I was gonna say is he a Republican (laughs) he's a Republican and I was just like this doesn't this is not new information I knew you'd be What are the characteristics of uh, teen horror? Uh, romance, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, some sexy times. It's usually like somebody somebody gets avenged. There's like a revenge plot mm. of some kind and like interpersonal beef. <laughs> they rely heavily on like high school tropes. There's also like a lot of suicide. I was like, dang. I didn't realize how often we do this. I mean, I guess we did, but it's just... When I watched, because I watched all of these movies back to back, I was like, oh my god, literally every single one has some sort of, like, young woman's 
men is sexuality. I'm like, Jesus. It's also like relies on that like breakfast club trope of like, oh, someone has a bad home life. <laughs> like you always find out about somebody's like outward appearance and then their home life's shitty and their dad's like, whatever. <laughs> that's that's always like, but it's part of the scare, yeah, you yeah. know? Who would we all be in the high school horror movie? Who? What character Which do you trope? think you most align with? I think with? I'd be like the quiet indie girl who thinks she's like with different. greasy hair yeah who thinks that not she's that, not wait, like whoa, other not girls that you have greasy hair. sorry <laughs> sorry louisa that was racist <laughs> hold on no. <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> but i would be that girl because that's kind of who i thought i wanted to be when i was that age in like yeah the... everyone wanted to be her but not was... everyone wanted to be her she's kind of i didn't want to be her exactly. i didn't want to be her like did anyone else when they got sad imitate that scene in twilight where it's like there's a possibility yes <laughs> actually yeah i take that back i did <laughs> i remember when i saw that movie in like theaters and i actually thought that was a normal response to a breakup and so when i had like my first breakup is it not a normal response say, what's <laughs> that's what normal i've been response? doing <laughs> i don't think it's necessarily normal to wake up in your sleep screaming <laughs> and um attempting to do life-threatening things just so you can see visions of your ex i think that might be a little bit on the on on scale of not normal we always end up talking about twilight mila's the mila's the indie girl i feel like i feel like i would be the one who's too bold who like doesn't who like you know like provokes the 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 danger (laughs) who like walks into the shit and like is the first one to get their shit rocked that's definitely (laughs) me and it's like especially because i'm black i'd be like the first one to go and i'd be like too confident you'd be part of the popular (laughs) clique but you you're not an asshole no i'd be the asshole (laughs) (laughs) i was i was the asshole in high school maybe less so now i don't know (laughs) who would you be I'm very You'd cautious. be like immediately shutting it down. Yeah, you'd be like, we're not getting involved with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe you'd you know? be like the smart bookish one. You know what I mean? But they yeah. die too, right? A Ty yeah, wouldn't die. She'd just get sense. out of there. They'd, she'd just like be like immediately gone. Am I the final yeah, girl? Yeah, but then she'd get like, no, because I think you'd get murked on the way no. home. Like, you'd be like, I'm not going to, like, Barb in Stranger Things, you know what I mean? Like, she's like, I don't want to even be here, and she leaves, and then she dies. To know? be fair, when I watched Stranger Things, I thought, I would never in my life do this. Anyway, I don't know who I'd be. Maybe annoying asshole. I'll die. I just know I'll die. I don't know. Maybe don't you would die. Would you'd die, like, three quarters of the way through. Oh, you think? <laughs> yeah. You'd probably, you'd probably sacrifice yourself. Why? <laughs> For your friends. For, who? For, For your friends. Who? Actually, maybe she is a Libra, and they do like to people please. There you go. You 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 succumb to peer pressure and sacrifice yourself. Mm, it would be cool. like you would jump in the way and save Zoe Kravitz. Oh, I thought I made that Zoe Deschanel in my head, and I was like, Lord, would I never? <laughs> but Zoe Kravitz, absolutely. Is it bold of me to say that I think Louisa would be the one who, like, has sex at the party and gets, Lol, like, you get murked? Wait, so you're saying I'm the <laughs> No, they're not sluts. They are empowered women, Louisa. Yeah, but in terms of movie archetypes, you're saying I'm the sluts. That's all right. I'll take it. No. That's the fun. Sorry, Mom. They're always the fun one. That's why they have to die soon. Because only the boring people make it till the end. That's true. Wait, but we don't have, we haven't said anyone boring. We all said we'd die, so we No, have exactly, and girl. I don't think any, none of us are the final girl. I don't think, I don't think any of us are the final okay. girl. Okay, we, we don't have what it takes. 
So we've been getting a lot of love recently on our Insta. Even Hayley Bennett commented below our post of the movie Swallow. And so this week we are making all of our new followers our Witch of the Week. Thank you for joining our coven. Please go ahead and leave a little more love on the Apple Podcast app by writing a review, a love letter, a poem, a spell, anything really. We just, we crave your attention and love. Thank you again. Have a wonderful day, have a wonderful week, a wonderful life. I was a complete ignorant little dickhead <laughs> because I did not realize that uh, Hunger Games had borrowed heavily, heavily uh, from Battle Royale. And it was you guys who informed me of, of this. And I'm pretty upset about it, actually, because I was watching Battle Royale for the first time and I was like, this is like the Hunger Games. Like this, there's just so many similarities and I'm upset at the fact that Hunger Games franchise like never even commented on it and apparently she I read when I was trying to read about it it said that she she denied she's uh Susan Collins the author of Hunger Games has denied ever reading or, or seeing really Royale and I just think like while I could maybe buy that for the first one I mean I think it's dubious I definitely absolutely cannot buy that she didn't get the catching fire idea of geographical danger zones from battle royale you know because that's like that's the whole plot of catching fire and it's just straight out of it i think she might have changed the narrative on that because i think at some point she was saying like she saw it that she didn't think they were similar at all which i mean in itself sounds like a lie i'm not accusing you of anything susan collins i'm not accusing you of anything but like i do think there are quite a few things that people tend to watch in like other countries and then they basically make the same movie in the u.s under a different title and do not acknowledge at all where it came from and this is one of those scenarios especially because it was banned everywhere it was even easier to like yoink it from the zeitgeist and like call it your own because like for a while it was so hard to like access i guess it was it's pretty blatant though like there there are some liberties taken but it was it was also giving tarantino but that's a whole other conversation (laughs) I was reading this article, which was trying, it was from the Business Insider, and it was trying to argue that it wasn't, the Hunger Games wasn't plagiarizing Battle Royale, but this, this writer, whoever it was, said in one of their, like, um, describing the movie, it said, think of Battle Royale as Kill Bill on steroids, and I was like, oh, dude, I don't trust you and your comparison of which is a ripoff when you orientate yourself in such a shamelessly western framework well i think i think tarantino did like say in interviews that he like battle royale is one of his favorite films and that he like was inspired yeah, and but then he made kill bill after. yeah i know but he but he acknowledged that in the after he hired the actress who plays gogo from battle royale yeah, yeah yeah that's not what i'm mad at i'm mad at this article the way that the article you're saying the article is basically making it sound like the movie is copying Influence. tarantino yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah, that's what I'm at. And I'm like, you, know, you can't just say the, the the inspiration came second. And the yeah. manga's even older. The whole problem with Tarantino is that you're right, he does acknowledge where he gets a lot of his inspiration from, but then his whole like film catalogue is just one big pastiche of like taking styles from other like other films from around the world and then doesn't build upon it or inject any kind of substance like he gets the violence down you know he loves to aestheticize the violence and make it look cool and fun 
but then there's nothing behind like I'm not denying he is he's a good filmmaker like he makes enjoyable films but there's nothing behind them he doesn't add anything new I do see what you're saying is that like I feel like when you look at his film catalog they're not all distinguishable by a certain style except for the excessive use of the n-word and violence (laughs) exactly and like meta references for days so Veering back to Hollywood <laughs> and the Battle Royale debate, although it's always time to drag <laughs> to drag a male director. I wanted to know which which world did you guys think was scarier if you were having to kill strangers in Hunger Games or Battle Royale and your classmates? Like, or which not scarier? Which one would you rather be in, and which would be more interesting to be in? Because I thought like the dynamic of having to kill classmates was pretty interesting. I think I would rather go with the Hunger Games because these kids seem like they yeah, can yeah. fight. Um, I don't get time for that. The Hunger Games, it seems like you can take out a good chunk. <laughs> and you don't know them, so there's like no emotional hesitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah also, it would be you're prepared for games. it. In a, you're mentally prepared because it's like a yearly event. Whereas with Battle Royale, they were like, yo, what's up? You're going to be killing each other. And they had zero time to process. Something that I noticed, though, is that I would also want to be in the Hunger Games, even though I did like the interpersonal drama of killing your classmates. But the (laughs) teenagers in Battle Royale, because they were sent there because of like juvenile delinquency or whatever excuse was given, they're automatically portrayed as like less innocent than the kids who went into the Hunger Games. Like the kids who went to the Hunger Games did it because like Mm. they were doing it for their district and like they would get food and everyone would be taken care of for the year. So it's that's why people volunteer because it's like something you sacrifice for your community. This is like straight up punishment. And they're also like not necessarily from the get out when they like stab their teacher. Like, oh no, these are bad kids. Like let's get it clear like these are bad kids who know how to fight which is and the other hunger games a little bit different because they have like older folks going in but from the get it's it's not as like what's the word i'm looking for like virtuous of a situation to be in i feel like the hunger games is like the pg version of battle royale because there's like not as much violence and gore and there's no real like sexual references in the hunger games and it's like when katniss and Peeta are together at the end or whatever it's like a very nuclear family type situation it's not like they on the run from the 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 cops and everything it's just a very much what you would expect in like a fan fiction like it just slowly (laughs) transitions into normal normality what did you think of the couples um like if you're not leave hunger games aside but now i'm thinking of noriko and nanahara as a couple what do you guys think about them because i thought uh nanahara was queer from wait really the way yeah yeah when his friend dies at the beginning and he's like i will honor you by protecting your woman <laughs> i was like <laughs> this seems very queer to me is anyone else oh i just like very i feel like that seems like very knight in shining armor rhetoric i don't i don't know i didn't see it that way it seemed pretty straight to me (laughs) like he was like i must protect a woman i thought he was queer until i knew there was a girl involved at all i just thought it was implied because they were like very close homies you know i thought so too like the whole like scene and then the basketball hallucination yeah it's quiet guys they're just buddies Um, yeah i will say like (laughs) (laughs) i will say in asia like male friendships tend to be closer just because there is like sort of the sexualization between male and female relationships and a lot of the schools aren't necessarily co-ed and if they are co-ed they're still like you spend a lot more time with people of the same gender so 
I think it's just like the average super close relationship between guys in Japan. I, I yeah. Know. Why are you Let taking this away from me? I'm so sorry. <laughs> what the hell? I feel like we have just to. Let me queer bait. Just let. Who am I hurting? Um, I really liked. I liked that they there wasn't a romance force between them, regardless of whether it's because he was gay. Except at the end, um, they the just end seemed like quite hands. a sweet. They weren't, but they weren't together. Yeah, they're allowed to hold hands, Louisa. They can still be <laughs> friends. <laughs> I, Bellas, I, I certainly didn't read hands? any romance into that. I just saw it as like we're on the run together. You know, I would hold you, you guys' hands if we were on the run. You know what character I did love. Mitsuko, the oh, yeah. slightly psychotic, uh, like what? <laughs> what's the like? What's that weapon called? That a gun? No, no, no. Well, that she had at the beginning, like the the farming tool. What's... Oh, the um, oh, sickle. It's a sickle. Sickle. Yeah, I thought you know, a plus weapon. Yeah. Communism. <laughs> okay, Stop. that too. Um, I really liked her character. I liked her little little bit of you know background characterization near the end. I just thought she was, I, I vibed with her, her uh, psychosis. Um, yeah. I switched allegiances throughout the whole thing with like who was the craziest. <laughs> like that's who I was rooting for at any given time. So like homeboy with the orange hair, the transfer student yes. for a minute. Definitely. Uh, Moshiko, is that her name? Who you were rooting for? My girl Gogo at one point. I don't know her name in this oh, yeah. movie. I, anyone who was like, completely unhinged from 15 minutes in was like oh bet I, i've been waiting for the moment to kill my peers they were my favorites i didn't i wasn't interested in like the lovers or the hackers or anybody with thick backstory not into it but my favorite was um chigusa she the one who stabs the guy's crotch yeah. i um i wish i did not expect that to happen i don't know i loved it for obvious reasons i was like yes kill him stab him can suffer i think it's interesting that like the female characters in the movie with the exception of chigusa and mitsuko uh the rest of them were kind of whiny and very weak and Mm -hmm. then there was like that scene where he was had the two girls that i guess were friends and he like shot them up and then he puts like the megaphone to her mouth while she's like writhing in pain and stomps her in the face and then shoots her some more and so i was like the violence against women in this was very concerning and also like making the women like infants with the exception of the two characters that were very empowered and kind of like took charge of the situation but the rest of them were like very infantile which uh I thought was a, a choice. <laughs> I did think it was a bit vapid that that like whole when the whole group of girls falls apart so fucking quick and they're all just shooting up each other. I was like, there's no way I would shoot my best friend so quickly. I'd probably like investigate the scenario a little bit before I go like pulling a gun on him. That kind of to me seemed like a, a realistic reaction to the situation. <laughs> no. Think about the amount of pressure you were under, knowing that you were you were being hunted, are expected to hunt your friends, otherwise you're all going to die. I think something like then your friend accidentally getting poisoned is going to set you off. Like, and they're children. Like, of course yeah, they're going to fucking lose it. Wasn't it sort of like very slapstick almost? Like, but that's just the style of the film. I felt like it was almost like stupid. Uh, like, oh, girls are so emotional they can't handle this situation in a way. Yeah. Because I'm like, it just yeah. seemed like petty high school girl shit. Like, 
oh, I'm going to immediately kill my best friend because I secretly hate her the whole time or something. Because I'm like, in this situation, I think you would want people close to you to stay stay there the longest so they can have your back. I don't think it was it was necessarily, like, girl drama, but I do think that that is, like, part of the teen genre is this, like, the angsty pettiness turns to homicide. It was the same in the desktop horrors. Yeah. It's the same in a lot of them that, like, what's scary about teenagers is how irrational they are and how like emotional and hormonal and how those things like I don't know I guess motivate like I understand that it's hyperbolic and it's a movie and they raise the stakes but I think it's interesting that like folks that age are at the center of like high stakes situations in this particular way because I don't necessarily think that adults would be portrayed in a movie that way. I think adults would do the same thing. I think they would also turn on each other. But in movies, it's always like, they, they have to be more rational, even though I don't think that's realistic. I think t- we don't give teens enough credit for, I think they would like at least try to team up or help each other more than they do. For all the movies, like one of the reoccurring themes is that they don't have like actual monsters. The humans are the monsters because people see like the teens as unhinged and able to do anything evil. And then the adults are also useless and don't help the teens through anything at all or either are an extension of the sadisticness shown by the teens. I think that's seen across like all the movies because the adults in the situation are either like just as irresponsible and unhelpful or like sadistic male teachers and i think there were sadistic male teachers in almost every movie as well but do you think like the way they portray like young girls is definitely like they're unhinged is different than the boys Mm -hmm. unhinged like one thing i thought was interesting was the emphasis on the fact that survival bags have tampons i was like okay and then the tampon even becomes a plot point like uh, Mitsuko knew or knew that somebody had committed or maybe it was the other way around. She knew that someone had committed a murder because she'd seen her tampon in like the bathroom. And it just becomes like very like our, our typical sort of monstrous feminine. Like these women are so catty and they're all very hormonal and they're all so, so like in love and sexual and over the top with their emotions. I literally wrote in my notes this should be named to Battle of the Simps because I don't understand why everyone's dying words were like confessions of love. Yeah. Like uh, Chigusa's dying words being, you look really cool, thank you, to, to the guy. Oh, and then she's like dying. I was like, you best believe I'd have some better things to say than no, that. No, the boys were be... also that in love. The boys' final confessions yeah, were also exactly. like, oh, yeah. she was so cute. Tell her I always thought she was so cute. Like they're all pretty melodramatic. But then with the women, it's also, like, so before, like, they'll have scenes of, like, drawing attention to their sexuality, and they're, like, you know, whereas the men didn't have, like, such sexual scenes, it would just be the simping, whereas girls were, like, sexual and simps. Okay, for me, I I really didn't see any issues with the way that, like, teenagers are presented, because within the movie, like, obviously the humor... The humor and the way it was blended with horror meant that they were obviously over-exaggerating certain characteristics of teens and with girl young girls I think they did a really funny but also I I didn't see it as a problematic take on teen girls I thought it was pretty (laughs) accurate and it didn't seem to have any it didn't seem like I know you said you know but apart good old monsters feminine for me there didn't seem to be any like sexualizing or Freudian undertone to it at least not overtly and then, like Zeba said, the boys also going around simping. And he also had that guy being like, let, uh, confessing his love 
to the the girl who was training running and he's like let's don't you want to have sex before we die and he's like obsessed with her and then he's like I'm gonna shoot you unless you do it like boys are equally portrayed as like just for these like jacked up emotions and hormones this is like the age where girls would be into like pop stars and like k-pop and j-pop like the you are so cool thing is something that i remember when i was like in high school into k-pop that people would like comment all the time on like k-pop idols on instagram and social media and so i think it's just like a funny little ode to like fangirl culture it's almost (laughs) like this person that you were in a class with you see them suddenly in like this cool fashion because now they're like chopping people up which is not cool (laughs) not cool children but like (laughs) <laughs> it's like watching an action hero in real life so I think it was like a, a funny little fangirl take so I, I think I'm with Mila on that I don't think it was them simping I think it was just teenagers being teenagers I don't know I don't think it's realistic not mad at the hyperbole <laughs> because I think it's funny and I thought this film was really funny and I think it's well done and I think it makes me laugh to see the exaggerated over emotional woman trope in this film but that doesn't mean it's not there <laughs> basically yeah, yeah, fair enough. I agree. I think the yeah the comedy and the horror, the way they interact, is really what makes good. this film so <laughs> good. Because you're like, you're, like you say, you laugh out loud, and then you're also like, this is horrific. What the fuck? I love the prop ovid. <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite part. And like the comedic timing on that introduction was stellar. <laughs> The, the distrust of the government and also the entire reason why they're there is because of the government and interesting because I would say like today's young people particularly because of the internet and proximity to connecting to people all over the world actually have more distrust for the government than I think people did in the 90s and a lot of them are very critical to the point where people don't want to vote or um, altogether like want their political bodies to dissolve and have something brand new in place because they feel like the current systems are too corrupt. I think that was interesting because these kids honestly didn't seem like they cared that much about the government until they were put in the situation. Yeah, that that's so they true. They were put there because the government wanted to control the juveniles and thought that ever, all the kids were out of control. But I was like, they honestly didn't seem to care until the government put this emphasis on them to control them. But now I think people are a lot more politically conscious and aware of the government and ruling bodies at a young age than they ever were before. Well, I thought the reason that they were like going after like quote-unquote juveniles or whatever juvenile delinquents is because like in the 90s or even a little bit earlier when the manga was out that Japan was like having a bad economic time and there were a lot of unemployed young people who like you know there was like the crime rates were higher and it was like a commentary on attitudes toward young people in Japan at at the time and like looking at them as like not contributing to society or not caring about like the economy or the greater good or like they weren't as nationalistic because the country had failed them in x y and z ways so i i think it is it's dated in that way and that like i don't necessarily think that young folks in japan are viewed with such like animosity as they were like 30 years ago but it's 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 like deeply steeped in that like economic context too I think the director apparently had like a very hard time in his youth and that was part of what made the movie come about 
Yeah, he said, um, I have a Guardian interview quote here. He, um, he said he was working in factories and, like, doing raids. Like, he'd be working with his friends. And this was, I think, when he was, like, 15 or something. And during raids, like, um, you would only think of uh, self-preservation. And you'd have to, like, get behind each other or hide beneath dead bodies. And um, he, saw, he, went, he said in another interview that he saw a body lit, lit on fire. And because of, like, this, that's why he was interested in this film. And that's why he was kind of pissed that the government in Japan initially gave it, um, I think, a PG-15 rating or something like that. So yeah. only 16-year-olds could see it or something like that. And he was like, no, I, I saw such horrific things at 15. The whole point of this is that so the young people see it. Like, that's the target demographic. And I, I don't know. I think it was, like, a comment on the generational gap, yeah, as you were saying, because of, like, the effects of war and, and stuff. I put in the notes that why is why is there a Western classical music store score? I think in the books they said something about like throughout the novel they mentioned comparisons between western politics and eastern politics but more specifically japan i obviously have not read the book so i cannot answer that question (laughs) it's interesting to me because when i read the book summary on uh, wikipedia the most reliable of all sources it said that uh the couple escape to america for the democracy and i was like turn around you're not gonna find it here but that's quite a usual like perspective of east asian countries to have of america given like america's overbearing influence so maybe i don't know whether in what way it's written in the books but it could have been aware of that in the 90s in particular there were a lot of there was a lot more military influence in japan and korea and all over the world because military bases were a lot more active but yeah the 90s was like that huge americanism movement all over the world because of the military bases that were placed and especially in japan i think there were quite a few there so that also probably plays a a role in it because like the military bases were seen as like a way to bring democracy to places and keep the spread of communism at bay and terrorism all of that so so do you think it's like successful indoctrination at play at the end there not that's a strong strong word but like successfully spreading that image of america they wanted i think especially within the youth i think it's yeah kind of like they because that was there and things in the 90s were a certain way, it's very easy to, I guess, idolize what seems to be the most, I guess, powerful place in the world as being the best. Our next film, Memento Mori, is the second film in the Whispering Corridors film series. The film is set in an all-girls high school and revolves around the relationship between two female students, Minhyo Shin and Yu Shien, and the backlash of their taboo romantic relationship. The film is told from a non-linear perspective and is sometimes shown from the POV of another female student, So Mina, who becomes obsessed with the relationship of Hyo Shin and Shien after finding a diary kept by the girls. Can we first talk about how strange it is that this girl is like, who needs fan fiction? And I can read the diary of my classmates who are in a relationship. This is I would too. Wouldn't you? I would. 
I absolutely would read the diary. But, oh no, I'm Ian Fryer. <laughs> Fuck. This man is getting so much plug. <laughs> um, I would read a diary that I found um, and like on the side. I wouldn't if I knew already who it belonged to. Oh, I would. I would especially. <laughs> okay. But we know. We know you would. If somebody found my diary, I would want them to read it. Like you write, yeah, for I write for an audience. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's overrated. <laughs> oh, sex god Bob. Sex also, god like, Bob. They're in the the nurse's office, and she's like reading the diary, and it's like I made this poison for you, but she eats the candy, and I was like, you ate candy out of a diary that you don't know how long it's been there. I would have done it. <laughs> Choices. Stop. Save up. <laughs> You're telling me you you wouldn't be curious? I feel like just for the adventure, for the drama of it all. I think Somina, I think she had a crush on the other girl, Shion. I felt like she had a crush on her the entire time. I agree. And that she was, like, sort of jealous of the dynamic and, like, wished it was her. And I think I put in, yeah. like, my notes that it was funny that this is an all-girls school, but it still sort of played out, like, Shion being, like, the hot jock that two girls wanted. And one was a nerdy girl and yeah. one was a popular girl. And they were, like, vying for her affections. I thought that was <laughs> so funny that they were still able to do that even in an all-girls school. And they were also concerned about, like, her track racing. I forgot that they did track. You're so right. I was like, she wasn't a jock. But you're right. She was. She was. I had a fat crush on mm-hmm. She also had, like, the more masculine haircut, and both of them were, like, more traditionally feminine by their haircut and the clothing that they wore, but she would wear, like, the sweatpants a lot and, uh, like, a baggy T-shirt and kind of, like, trudge around, and people kind of, like, thought she was we very cool. We get it. You love her. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss already. <laughs> And it's it's almost confirmed, like, at the end when they walk by each other and they can read each other's thoughts. Like, they have that telepathic connection, which is code for gay. I thought, um, I, I thought that too. Yeah. And then I read that, like, these article articles or whatever that were like, oh, she's possessed by um, Min Yoshin's uh, spirit. And I was like, oh, I did not get that. I did not get, get that, that she was possessed. I did not get this Tom Riddle-esque Harry Potter possession story. I thought she was just <laughs> getting more gay because she was getting the representation she needed. I think she was <laughs> in definitely in love with her because even when they were in the room and they were doing the hearing test and mm. she couldn't hear, she couldn't hear which ear it was and she was telepathically telling her mm. which ear it was so she could pass the exam and do her track race. And so at that point, Hyoshin wasn't even dead yet. So I don't think that was the case. I think maybe the men who watched this yeah. movie really desperately wanted not all the women to be gay in the movie, but the, I'm sorry they were. They were in love. I got a quote on that too. You best believe. <laughs> There's a quote. <laughs> but it actually was super interesting. It was in this article um, called Memento Mori and Other Ghostly Sexualities. Actually, I think it was a part of a chapter in a book. The directors actually had quite an apolitical perspective on the film's queerness and kind of used it as like, um, it, they, it was basically like a side effect of what else they were trying to do. So I'll read the quote. As Bildung's Roman signifies the process by which one enters society, the progression from homosexuality to heterosexuality becomes a vital series of codes for adolescents that reflects the inner struggle of the individual 
Um, and then they said the possession by a queer ghost represents the fear of otherness. For example, South Korean society fears North Korean communism, but this is really the fear of being called a communist, not the hatred of communism itself. That was what the director Kim Taehyung said, and the director Min Yo Dong said, if one defines it as lesbianism, one has a narrow view of love, we would like Memento Mori not to be seen as a propaganda. The most effective way of making a film is making it in the least political way. Um, essentially, all that means from what this article dissected is that it wasn't necessarily about, like, through the character of um, Mina, she, she's meant to sort of represent, like, it's meant to sort of be like, well, every every teenage girl thinks about um, queerness before they become straight, essentially. Like, it's it's kind of like a key part of development is what they're trying to sort of say in that quote. And it's more about an inner struggle, which is meant to be symbolic of Korea's political, North and South Korea's political situation. And I was just like, no, <laughs> <Making> it, <laughs> like they weren't. They weren't trying to basically be like jazz hands, yes, queer rep, essentially. It was just more of like, oh, accidentally did it. I think <laughs> this was like sort of indicative of how South Korea was back then versus how it is now. Because like this movie is was like, from what I've read, was kind of taboo at the time. And people were like, I don't want to watch that. The Whispering Corridor series is supposed to be horror. I don't really want to watch this, this is a lesbian movie. Uh, but... A few years ago, in 2016, they had The Handmaiden come out, and that was a heavily lesbian lesbian movie where the two main characters were had sex scenes that were quite graphic. Um, and that movie was very critically acclaimed, and it grossed, I think they sold like 4 million tickets or something like that in Korea. And it was the movie that they, I believe, sent to the Oscars as the uh, official film for Korea for their entry. Wow. So over time it's sort of changed but I wouldn't say South Korea is a not homophobic country at all because it still is and they have, still have a, a long while to go as the rest of the world does but at this time I think this was more of the directors trying to like market the movie as horror and make it into something that it maybe was not quite just because they did not want the taboo or the backlash of it being a full-on queer film which honestly is kind of shitty. But like throwback to Nightmare on Elm Street 2 when the director was also trying to be like this isn't this isn't clearly gay even though it was super gay. For the first couple minutes of this, maybe even the first half hour, I was like, okay, this is clearly gay, but they're about to tell me it's not. And then it was explicitly gay. It, I was like, this is the gayest thing I've ever seen. Like you can say you can say it's homosocial <laughs> for sure. Perhaps like the dudes in Battle Royale, their initial, you know, just hanging out best friends could be just really close friends. But I think they really explicitly made this lesbian and like not just of their own confirmation, but of every other character observing their relationship thinks it's romantic and sexual. So it to me almost is more blatant than Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and a, like a little bold of the directors to claim that it's not because I don't think anyone is buying that even somebody who really doesn't want to see it I mean they explicitly say they were in a relationship because she's like I think we should get back together yeah. <laughs> they're celebrating yeah. other anniversaries and birthdays I don't really and they think kiss and say it was a lot yeah I was gonna say what did you guys think of because I think the, one of the queerest moments besides the actual queer montage of their relationship which was so cute at the beginning um before before it got a little toxic and they started talking about like mutual suicide um but <laughs> i say a little toxic but that's really just lesbians um, <laughs> like, 
I will die. If you die, I die. What did you think about the, in terms of like a horror being queer, that possession scene that like when she can't close the book and the ghost is like up her skirt and that also made me what I was saying in the beginning is like the the fact that she's meant to be possessed by her in the end because she's read the diary and I was like but the possession scene like the most explicit possession scene was very external like it wasn't anyone like occupying her from within and making her act outwards it was the ghost coming at her you know what I mean it didn't seem like a typical possession scene and it was very weird and sexual and i read another article called three periods of korean queer cinema invisible camouflage and blockbuster essentially sort of saying what you were saying taya like i think you sort of touched on it how horror is um like a buffer like it allows people to talk about queerness under the safety cover if it was more controversial to depict on film this can't not be just gay and you can easily cop out by being like it's possession but like it's really just queer that like possession scene I mean not possession scene it's more like a sort of I guess a haunting um it definitely yeah it definitely like throws back to the whole like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 um possession narrative as like gay feelings invading a host type vibe but I also kind of saw it if we were talking about maybe me not being gay also as her, which then again is still framed in a slightly problem- problematic way because she's terrified of obviously someone, uh, this entity like touching her, but it might be like a sort of subconscious desire. You think it was like a fantasy or like fantasy hidden behind horror? Mm. That's why I didn't, I was like, I said low key rape yeah. scene because I was like, I mean, technically, yes. If- but also but is it is it not technically yes because so for a nightmare on elm street it was all about being penetrated by a spirit whereas in this case it's just like vibes you know like vibes take over the body which and i think that also has something to do with but like what i was gonna say is that like do we view women on women relationships as like inherently like less physical more emotional and that makes it like not as bad of a a possession story because like the the body isn't being taken violently but like her mind starts to sort of be overtaken even before she's dead you know what i mean like i would argue the possession starts when the toxic rela- the toxic nature of the relationship starts i think that like it's while it may not be as explicitly physically violent as as like the you know get gay is violent themes in other horror movies I mean, I think this is kind of hot tea on lesbian relationships, if I'm being real, about like how the, like the closeness can be toxic. And I, it was, a, it was a little bit relatable. It was a little bit like, yeah. I'm, I'm saying, right? <laughs> I was like, is this, to- I literally wrote in my notes, is this toxic or just lesbian? <laughs> yeah. I feel like maybe their relationship, I mean, I don't really know, but I mean, it felt toxic to me because they were like everything for each other. And I think, that is what can make a relationship unhealthy because you can't have one person be like your only friend, like a, a sibling slash parent type guardian relationship, and then also your romantic partner because that's just too much pressure and also just insanely unhealthy to hold one person to that type of standard. And I don't actually think Shion felt as strongly for Hyoshin as Hyoshin felt toward, 
towards her. Yeah. I think it was almost like she was kind of like driving the the gears behind that relationship and Sheehan was just kind of there like she, I think she was into her and they mutually liked each other and I think Kyoshin was like in this deep pit of love and Sheehan was just like I mean okay <laughs> because I don't think she yeah. she didn't have like the same outcast factor that Kyoshin did but Kyoshin didn't really have any friends and people made fun of her and that girl was like even when she died and the girl was like well I should have bashed her head in last year because I hated her and no one really had a substantial reason to hate her other than she was really good at poetry and she was a great composer and all the teachers liked her. So I think because she had like no one else, it was just too much of a pressure in the relationship to where she was making this girl do everything for her. And it was almost like uh, the healthy unhealthiness that we talked about in Midsummer, where it was like, you cannot do that to your partner and think it's okay. Like, you can't just offload everything onto one person and think it's fine. When she tells her, like, oh, yeah, like, I met up with Mr. Go and, like, I had to sleep with him because he was really sad, which that was a completely different, separate comp- thing that we have to address. But, like, she she was, like, also a kid who knows this teacher who probably didn't necessarily want to know this. It was definitely a conversation that she should have been having with an adult in her life rather than another student that she was in a relationship with who she was also telling her that she would take her life if she left her like I don't know it was a lot (laughs) it's like the most toxic of like the lesbian relationship stereotype and then you take it times 10 and you put it all in one character and that's her do you guys think this is really a horror yes I think it's more than a horror than battle royale yeah Mm, yeah not not on like a scale of of whether you're scared scared or disturbed discussing genre and breaking it down is like my least favorite thing to talk about with film because it get it get gets me really confused like, what is genre? yeah what is genre so <laughs> i'm just gonna say yes and offer no reasons for it okay. i'm gonna say like that. yes but only the second half yeah okay mm. yeah but that's like but they're still yeah no they like a lot of it up. i the other lamb please <laughs> i think anything can be a horror if you want it to be a horror that's my hot take okay that's just like a cop out at least it's i pretended i knew I think it had some horror horror in it, but, like, I don't know. At some points, it felt like, it felt very art house to me. Like, I can say, I think I would would say, like, an art house horror film. Part of it, I feel like, I know it was, like, supposed to be a haunting thing, but I felt like it was more of, like, this very sad, horrifying story of what happened to this girl named Hyoshin. Like, at the scene where, after she dies, there's, like, the red bird in the room that's, like, trapped I just felt like that was very symbolic of how, like how her spirit was trapped in the school and she couldn't get out because I mean she had like that horrifying relationship with the teacher Mr. Go who was taking all of his emotions out on like a teenage girl and manipulating her into having sex with him and then she yeah. had this pregnancy from him that she didn't want to have and then she had this toxic relationship where she was obsessed with this girl and it kind of like just showing how she's driven to psychopathy just because of all of these factors in her life that make her take her own life and then eventually take revenge on others by haunting them. I think the most art house part of this film was definitely the sort of mixed up chronology of the film, which the first time I watched it completely threw me. I was like, what the fuck is happening? It makes me appreciate it so much more from like a enjoyment point of view, because I think it, I don't know, it kind of like forces you to pay attention which sounds like homework but in a in a good way I mean then a positive way but I think if we're also talking about queer film and now that we've also talked about how 
the directors were like, it's not about gays, it's just about communism. Take it with a grain of salt. But non-linear perspectives in the queer films is often used as a way to like queer film form and narrative. And it's like another way to challenge the viewer to reconsider constructed or traditional ways of framing the world um, and then also our relationships. So it's like a really fun way to translate that into sexuality. But now I'm like, do you even care about the gays at all? <laughs> but you might just look at them as like maybe they did secretly care and they're just saying <laughs> that in an interview to say that. Actually, fair enough. So. That's and I and I we don't know that too. What? What did you guys think <laughs> of <laughs> fucking hell? Would you just <laughs> too hype? Calm down. What did you guys think of the institutional uh, like oppression that was so blatant? You know, with the whole, like, I was floored when the teacher called the student flatty. He's like, hey, flatty. I was like, first of all, triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, second of all, uh, how is that allowed? (laughs) I don't know if they still do that in Korea. They weigh them for physical. Yeah, that whole scene, I was like, um, I have never had a gym class that was just like, yeah. let's just make everyone feel like shit about themselves. I mean, like, gym class always feels like shit, but they're like, let's take it to a 10. That's really put everyone's business in the street. I thought it was like the, I think it was on the cold episode, Zayba, where you said, like, women will police each other in a way that men never will. And, like, the way that they were, like, making fun of her, being like, did you even shave your forehead to so you would be lighter? And just the general policing of each other's bodies really, <laughs> really oh, reminded me of that. I was like, wow, like, even these, these high school girls are, like, the way that they're policing each other's bodies, like, their chest, even the girl, like, wanting to be taller because she was, like, 146 centimeters. I was like, girl, I'm, like, 155 centimeters. But even, like, them just making fun of her, like, trying to jump up and be taller and everything, I was like, the way that they're policing each other's bodies is something that men, guys at a male school would never do. The only thing that I think men would ever police on each other's bodies is, like, dick size. That's the only thing that they yeah. make fun of each other for, really. Because, I mean, they have, like, the short king, <laughs> short king kingdom on Twitter where they, t- <laughs> like, talk about being short. So I don't think they care in the same day, way that women do. But, like, when they were calling out their weights, I noticed that they all weighed somewhere between, like, 90 to 110 pounds. And they were calling people fatty. No. <laughs> I think, to be honest, they're probably all underweight. Yeah. It was very, very strange. I know that, like, obviously the diet culture is hugely different in Korea but it was interesting like compared to my experience at an all-girls school there wasn't so much pressure to be slim from each other however that everyone was very much aware of the just like broader societal pressure to be slim however if somebody if somebody noticed someone was dieting or going exercising excessively then that's what people would be talking about they'd be like I'm really worried about this person there wasn't so much like oh that you know she's got like fat um, bullshit like that. I wanted to talk about the like bullying horror crossover because it happens in so many like every Stephen King book about anybody under the age of 18 like the core of it is bullying a lot of the time even if the bullies are not the thing to be afraid of like the the monster or the supernatural bit or even like the murderer the bullies are always like the low hum that follows a lot of horror movie about horror movie plots about young people. And that was true in all of these, but it's so many of them, like any 80s slasher, it, go, it goes along with that like bad home life thing. But the bullying is always like, 
it's it's just assault sometimes. Like it's not even like like teasing. It's things that I would consider like illegal behavior and also pretty extreme, which makes sense for the genre. But like I think it's super interesting that that like low lying hum of anxiety of bullying that like follows the protagonist of a lot of these is like sometimes the scarier aspect and it's put in the foreground in this like very scary way and with boys so i'm thinking about it like it chapter one when they're all children when the boys are being bullied it's like physical they fucking like throw rocks at each other a little bit in memento mori they had that sort of girl fight but they kind of remind me of lesbian porn because they were like eh. um but driving somebody to suicide is something that happens it's giving carry in that like you drive someone either to suicide or the point yeah, of revenge yeah. i was gonna say Carrie vibes and I and much like with Carrie I was like kill him <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know I just yeah yeah do it then when you you bring up like how it's quite like an 80s slash of trope like that excessive bullying in high school now that I think about it I it seems very American to me but this movie's not American bullying? explain it um bully, no like bullying in in that in the way that Zaber described not not so much in Memento Mori but in like Stephen King novels, like the sort of mm. small town bully. I don't know how to explain it. No, it is. It's like some guy who chews too much bubble gum or something, <laughs> and then he spits, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm gonna give you a wedgie." Yeah. Like it's just there's something distinctly American. But about I've that. I've never witnessed that behavior in real life. <laughs> no, but that's what I thought. Like, do you think this hyperbolic or sometimes depiction of bullying? Kind of the same point we had in the cyberbullying discussion in desktop horror when like the bullying gets so severe it almost does not seem as real as like of course there are extreme examples of bullying like that but when you present that as like the norm that happens in all schools doesn't that just create the idea that if it's not to that level then the more casual forms that you'd see every day in real life are not as serious can we talk about the teacher why was a teacher there? Why did we even have to have it? He, was he it wasn't some sort needed. of reassuring? Did we have? Did we need him for some sort of like injection of heterosexuality into her life? Yes. But then it's not even okay because it's pedophilic. At first, I thought the teacher was cute, and then they ruined him by making him a pedophile. I was like, wow, they got this nice teacher who's also jacked and cute. Okay, and then I was like, oh, never mind, he's a pedophile. <laughs> well, that went out the window. He was also just Aww. very. He was just like a very bland character with what was his nothing. Mister Girl. Girl. I thought something was weird at first when like they saw each other in like the teacher's office place, and she's like telling him she's sick or something, and he like pats her on the arm. And he's like okay just go to the nurse and I was like this is kind of weird I don't like my teachers to touch me I didn't get that he was a teacher then I thought he was just another kid and it was like a what I didn't pay attention to the men listen <laughs> I was watching purely purely because you said it was a gay ghost story so I was like any guy that appeared I was like irrelevant this is not for you. This is not your time. Which is why I was even more annoyed when he ended up sleeping with her. I was like, it's not about you right now. <laughs> that seems like a very confusing subplot, her getting pregnant. And because there wasn't, it wasn't like he, he did nothing. Yeah. I swear he did nothing. I don't understand. He was just like crying in her lap. Yeah. At first when there was that scene where he was crying in her lap, I thought it was actually, I thought it was her and Sheon actually um, having oral sex. 
<laughs> Same. Same. Oh my god. And I was like, oh, it's this man crying her laugh. <laughs> I come across as so horny on this. Like, why is he crying all the time? I don't know. I was like, why is he so depressed? Also, I, I, I feel like for him to be a depressed older man, wouldn't he have? I don't. Would you also want to add a baby to that? Would you not give this girl some condoms? Why are you free flying up in here? <sighs> <laughs> raw dogging it, <laughs> raw dogging. <laughs> and a student like come on sir this is beyond irresponsible i think we're thinking about it too hard i think he definitely was just there to like inject that like maybe she's not all the way gay i genuinely think that was like the yeah, end of it maybe. because that's yeah that's what i got i was like this i think he's just a reassuring heterosexuality but then he's a pedophile so nothing about um, that's reassuring also slight negative is i feel like because they put him there to inject like maybe she's not gay they almost made it seem like they weren't necessarily um acknowledging how problematic their relationship was in a way because she exactly. was like she was like oh i exactly. had to do it because he was sad and like she felt she even felt like she was lying and like she wanted to and i was like i mean even if she agreed to this and, and fully had a crush on him, she is a child and this is a grown-ass man. No, 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 no. Yeah. There's nothing about this where anything she could ever be held responsible for this. She's a, like a whole kid. This isn't like she's 18 yeah. and he's 30. This is like she's a minor and this is an adult man who is in a position of power. No. I, Louise, I don't blame you for not realizing he was the teacher because they brush over it so quickly that you're <laughs> yeah. like... Oh, maybe he's just a teenager that she met. I thought, like, TA, like, I, I thought, like, I don't know, volunteer. Girl, what I, TAs, I really didn't, I, <laughs> TAs are in high school? I don't know. 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 They just didn't make it seem like it was a bad relationship. They really did make it seem like she has feelings for him, too. And that's like why he's crying her left. I was like, um, this is an adult man who should not be anywhere near this girl or any <laughs> children for that matter since he feels like it's okay to put his dick inside of them. I read the article which was talking about how so I can't remember which one it was talking about how like the fact that she gets pregnant was to like create another sort of pressure like an, a pressure of heterosexuality which would be just yet another reason of why she has to kill herself but then I think that all becomes moot again if you consider the fact that it was meant to be not necessarily a political stance on queerness you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah exactly I also think they were foreshadowing that she was gonna jump off the building the entire movie because I remember at the beginning with her and she and were like play fighting on the roof and I was like this is such a dangerous hobby to have why are y'all play oh, fighting on yeah. the roof and then there's like the other <laughs> scene where they like go back to the roof to like make up and she almost falls and then she and like pulls her by mm. the arm up in like the k-dramas and the movies I've seen mm-hmm. If they do talk about suicide in a high school setting, they always jump off the roof. Yeah. How do they get up there? It's, there's an access point. Like yeah. there is a place to go on the roof. Side note: You don't necessarily die if you jump off a roof if it's not it's high not very enough. High up. Um, otherwise, you will just be like very severely injured in the hospital and probably have a TBI, but I don't think you die from like... What's a TBI? Traumatic brain injury. Okay, Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) Can we, can we talk about the like, the like mental health aspect of this too? Cause like, okay, maybe we should wait until, or this can transition into the craft, but like the cutting, the self-harm, I didn't realize how prevalent it was in like... I don't know if they still, I don't watch teen shows that are new, that are like on anymore. I don't know like how prevalent they are, but like the ones that we grew up with, I'm like, oh, y'all taught people how to like fuck their lives up. Like all of those like big dramatic life of the American teenager types of plot arcs. Because I feel like that wouldn't be on TV now because like somebody would say something about like, hey, 
content warning. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they did put out 13 reasons why. why. Yeah, they put that yeah. out there. It's so, t- isn't it so Tumblr? Yeah. It is a bit Tumblr. Actually, all of the craft felt like it was made for Tumblr. Like, while I understand it existed long before, it's like if Tumblr was a movie. That's so true. Our last film, The Craft, centers around an outcast group of girls who are rumored to be witches as they strike up a friendship with a new student, Sarah, who has unusual abilities. Bonnie convinces the group to allow Sarah to be the fourth member of their coven. Gradually, the girls start to face the consequences of their spells and the drawbacks of the power, all the while navigating school and the rocky dynamics of teenage friendships. It is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter this circle with fear in your heart. How do you enter? With perfect love and perfect trust. That's a girl. As above, so below. I feel like they took too many different genres of high school girls and put them in the same friend group of people who would never talk to each other but maybe they were all the outcasts they were all like pretty mean girls like but not pretty mean in the mean girls way but they were like pretty mean as in like like genuinely off-putting like not popular that's a type of teenage girl for sure emo in middle school and then grew up to be just like not super personable Stop, that's me. No, Ty, that's so not you. Yeah, I was going to say, that's so not you. the furthest thing from you. Well, thanks, guys. I'm glad I'm personable. I was emo in middle school, though. I was so unapproachable. I used to wear, like, black every day, and it was so (laughs) embarrassing. I didn't know how to put on eyeliner, and I would put on too much. It was bad. It was bad. I don't think I had much of an emo phase. I think I just listened to emo music, and I felt it internally. But externally, I was always looking... Probably, like, quite uh, preppy, but not, no, because preppy implies I had a fashion sense, which I didn't. It was very 2000s, like, 2000s swallowed me up and spit me out. I had a cardigan all the time because I always wore spaghetti straps because I was um, dangerous. Slutty. Like, to live life on the edge and break the dress code. So I always had to have a cardigan just because everything I had was skimpy. Why didn't you like Sarah, Louisa? I really want to hear you. Oh, my God. Let me tell you. Because, first of all... She's just, like, no fucking fun. Like, like she gets powers, <laughs> and the first thing she thinks of is, I'm going to make this guy, like, love me. And the thing is, yeah. to be fair, I could believe that someone would do that, I guess. Like, some vapid girl. However, it's the type of guy she also chooses. It's not just the fact that she could have any power in the world and she chooses a love spell <laughs> on a guy. It's like, what the hell? It's on top of the fact that she chooses a love spell for that guy. I mean, he just, like, insulted the group of girls, like the witches for like no reason he just thought they were weird because one was like a burn victim and the other was um from a bad home life and the other one was just rochelle i guess was just weird it didn't he didn't actually say he, he didn't actually say he didn't even consider her so i was just like what is i don't understand why she even and and then what he did like the gaslighting the abuse that he has uh, demonstrates towards her at the beginning was so severe and she forgives it so easily and then when she's like saying what spell she wants she's like I know I'm pathetic and I was like you're not just pathetic but didn't she also say like in the same breath I want to love myself more and I was like but you don't because you just did this yeah wasn't it like a way to get back at him that's kind of how I thought it was supposed but, like, to play out that's the, the other thing that it's like I hate that 
don't masquerade as feminist when it's not feminist. Like, it's not like I'm going to get back at him. I'm going to own the power because he he's going to, like, be very deeply in love with me. It's like, no, 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 you're choosing – you. she said I'm pathetic, so that implies she wanted him she to knew, care yeah, because yeah. she still cared, right? You're right. And then also that whole depiction of the love spell varying off of Sarah – like, the whole rape scene I thought was such a problematic de- depiction. Like, his motivations are, like, he's under a love spell, and that makes him want to rape her. I was like, think about yeah. the message you're sending to young teenage mm-hmm. girls. If a guy rapes you, it's because he's overwhelmed with desires because he loves you. I was like, this is terrible. Ter- that's, like, the one thing that I was, like, terrible representation in the film, and I was like, I wish this wasn't in it. And then the fact that she finds him a redemptive figure at the end as well. And she's like, don't kill him. And Nancy's meant to be unhinged because she does. Although Nancy's low-key trying to, like, assault him back, which is also really weird. Um, like, avenge rape. I agree with you. And I I didn't actually consider that with that rape, almost rape scene. Um, it was bad. But was it, you mentioned, like, that it suggested excessive love then translates into rape. Was it not that her love spell, you know how that witch, the the bookstore witch was saying that things were going to come back threefold. I kind of, I I understood it as more like a perverted love because, no, but then Sarah was meant to be the good, good witch. So you're right. She was a dick. You're right. She had terrible clapbacks. She just said, when he like, she just wrote, hey, Chris, fuck you. Please. Oh yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. Can we also talk about how bad all the spells were in general and like how they were all very vapid? Like Bonnie's was for beauty, which makes sense because I mean she had like the burn victim stuff and people made Fair fun enough. of her. But then Sarah's was for love, Rochelle's was for revenge, which honestly I felt like was teetering on making her an angry black woman. And mm-hmm. then Nancy's was for power, which I was like, How much power are you gonna have in this town? I don't know, girl, but <laughs> I guess you do you. I felt like the the it was just very predictable. Like they really led us exactly to what each person wanted. Like she was very insecure because she had the burn scars, and Rochelle was racially tormented at that school, and none of her white friends fell for her. That's a different story for a different day. And uh, Nancy wanted power because she felt like she wasn't in control, and people just thought she was a freak. And I almost feel like the way that they explained the spells made them all subtly anti-heroes, but also they were just very stereotypical. I'm very, I don't know. I feel like they could have made them have some different spells, mix it up a little bit, something. Something that wasn't... Do people actually like this movie? I think a lot of people love this movie. I think that they like, yeah, it's a cult movie. I think people like it for the aesthetic more than the content. I feel the same with Heather's. I actually really like Heather's. I did not like the Heather's. I love Heather's. Heather's. No, I only like Winona and that's it. (laughs) What? Oh my god, it's all amazing. I I mean, that is the only movie that I've ever felt attracted to Christian Slater while watching. This movie, Heather's, and like a lot of movies of this era, not even like scary or like alternative, even like virgin suicides, like this, like the other, anything with Winona in it, quite frankly, is like really builds this archetype of like the alternative girl, but they really are all the same. Like they are carbon copies of each other, but in different movies. But I think people love, love, love that because they saw themselves in that like, well, I'm not like what has been displayed up until the early 2000s, late 90s. But they're also very vanilla. They're also very vanilla, yeah. And it's super (laughs) white. Even Even the characters of color are super white 
in how they like act and uh, like they also don't have I guess besides Nancy a complex enough backstory to justify why they're like that I wrote in my notes that why is Sarah the same character as Bella Swan? I am upset. <laughs> That's literally my notes. But, I mean, no, Loki, still, they do that same thing where they are like this Bella yeah. Swan. And normal people. Yeah. And what's that movie called? Fifty Shades. She's also still like that same type of like sort of innocent and nice, but also alternative. But can we talk about um, Rochelle more in depth? Because you mentioned like how none of them had an in-depth home life except for nancy i didn't actually notice until i saw i read this interview but rachel true did an interview with cosmopolitan and she said when i was first cast in that movie i did think bonnie is burned nancy is crazy sarah suicidal and i'm black (laughs) young me thought the producers and americans think blackness in itself is the problem now my perspective has shifted. Thank God they had a racism storyline there. That was a very valid storyline. But I wish she had parents and I wished it had been explored more. Yeah. And I was like, it is true that she, I didn't realize because I wasn't paying that much attention to the other home, home life of the characters, but she was the only one whose parents were introduced at any point. And it's just kind of like, she's just there. And I can see her point of like her, her plight is just being black yeah because she's very pretty in the movie like she's super pretty she still is rachel true's like so stunning she has nice clothes she's middle class there's nothing that compares her to the other characters they just are like oh everyone hates her because she's black i was like this is a a way that they took the storyline and i didn't feel like her friends ever like adequately really stuck up for her they just seemingly didn't care and even when she's like at the little coven circle where they're like trying to get their powers and she's like and I shouldn't pay attention to the racist assholes, especially ones with blonde hair and blue eyes. And they have her say it in, like, such a Brady Bunch fashion. And I'm like, this is... The way that... The stuff that that girl was saying to her was more than just, like, casual... It was not casual racism. It was, like, intensely yeah. neo-Nazi racism. Yeah, sadistic. It was, it was very I didn't understand up. the also... Because as, as much... We also had the rapist apologist in Sarah. We had the racism apologist in Rochelle because she started feeling bad when her hair was falling out and she was, like having a, a breakdown yeah. about it. And I was just like, were any uh, people of color, black people consulted to with this? Because I don't think you'd feel any remorse. Like, you wouldn't look at her and be like, oh. I'd be like, she, yeah. She you wasn't Because like you said, it wasn't it was even her like hair. casual. Or, or like she made an ignorant comment. Yeah. It was like direct, explicit, not excusable, irredeemable racial abuse. So I was like, who would look at her? Also, so of the punishments, her hair falling out was like the least. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, the fact that they gave her true. blonde hair and blue eyes. I, yeah, saw, I yeah. see what you did there. It was a choice <laughs> that should not have been made. And then on that, though, I just thought, like, because I couldn't really understand Rochelle's character in general because they made her seem sympathetic. But then in the end, she's not. She doesn't. She goes with. Um, bonnie and nancy and tries to kill her so i thought originally she would be like on um sarah's side and then it turns out that she's also against her and i was just like well hang on a minute i thought you were trying to go the route of like she's more moral because she can sympathize with her the person who is racist against her towards her and but then it's like all of a sudden she goes back into being like toxic bitch and i was like so what even was the point of her showing remorse for that blonde crying woman if not to just make us feel like we shouldn't yeah and i wouldn't I wouldn't want her to be 
the moral high ground either. Like, I think that would have yeah. been shitty too. <laughs> it almost felt like, oh, like, even though she was racist, her hair shouldn't come out. And I was like, um, everything can come out for all I care. They made Rochelle such a sidekick that they didn't even remember that she also apparently had a moral code that they also gave her so she wouldn't be mean to white people. Yes. I, I literally, I said, what do you make of her sidekick character? Because I was like, it seems true of Bonnie. Like, fine, there wasn't too much depth to Bonnie. Mm-hmm. But, like, Rochelle had more depth than she just... And, uh, Rachel True, again, in the same interview, was like, it was hard to shoot the end, like, when Rochelle's lost her powers, because she thought that Rochelle was more powerful than this. Rochelle wouldn't go crawling back. And then she said, I imagine if she had been around a bunch of black witches, imagine Yo, how powerful Rochelle Oh, amazing. And I was like, it's so true. I did not understand why, why she, like, came back with her tail between her legs. I was like... Nothing about her character is consistent or black. I know, I, I mean, <laughs> in terms of how it was written. This is like one of those movies that I feel like they wrote with an all-white cast and then said, you know what, let's put one black person in for diversity and did not factor in anything on how, like, the race would change the character. It's like that thing of, like, color, like, where people were really promoting colorblind casting yeah. and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're doing it It wrong. is doable. Like, Shonda Rhimes does colorblind casting and then, like, changes yeah. the script afterwards. But she just writes the characters out and out. But also, like, she's not a white person, so it makes a difference. <laughs> I read somewhere that her char- the character of Rochelle originally was supposed to be bulimic. A white girl who was bulimic. And then I read, yeah, it was meant to be a white girl who was bulimic. And then they changed it and then changed it and made it a racist narrative for her. <laughs> because she was black. What's annoying is, like, they still yeah. could have did that storyline with her being bulimic with a black character. Like, the yeah. only black people have... Yeah. The, it's not, like, a, a monolith of the only experience that a black character can have is racism. Because there's a thousand different things that black people go through. And it could be bulimia, or it could be being a burn victim, or being a victim of bullying, or having a shitty home life where you need money. And, like, Nancy, like... Any of these things could have happened with her, but instead they went with, oh, because she's black, people hate her. <laughs> like, it was just such yeah. a lazy choice. You can just see this writer's room being like, guys, I've got it. <laughs> Forget bulimia. One of my favorite lines in this movie is when Nancy, like, storms off. And I think it is Rochelle that's like, oh, I don't know, maybe she's annoyed about she can't stop being white trash. And then she's mm. like, I told her, you're white, honey, just deal with it. <laughs> A lot of people need to hear that, though. <laughs> did you guys feel like Nancy was actually evil when you watched this movie? Or did you feel like she was more like yes. an anti-hero evil. who had, like, a lot of things going on in her life? In her Straight her up bitch. Yeah. I thought she was no. nuts. I thought she was 100% nuts. Because, like, like her circumstances did not warrant the behavior. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see her as an anti-hero either. Like, because I read one article or review which was trying to hate on Sarah. It was trying to redeem Nancy. And was I was like, you? no, no, no because no because i wouldn't make nancy very redeemable either because i don't think that disguised rape revenge rape scene and then also making her kind of vapid and she secretly wanted chris the whole time i was like why yeah yeah. i wrote that she was like also has like some lesbian one-liners like (laughs) not even me reading into it i know i'm making everyone gay in literally every (laughs) single film we talk about but this is is maybe everyone she said um I love a woman in uniform at, like, some throwaway line at the beginning. And then afterwards, when they're doing the light as a feather, stiff as a board, she's like, you have to put your fingers underneath her. And she's like, put your fingers where? Now you take your index finger and your middle finger, and you put it under her like this. 
think I sprained my finger. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up! Focus! Come on, you guys. Come on, ready? Light as a feather, stiff as a board. 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 I totally missed that. How could you? The light as a feather, stiff as a board scene was the gayest thing ever. The way they all stuck their fingers. So Rachel True uh, rightly called out uh, these conventions on Twitter, this convention on Twitter, which had actually just booked her three co-stars and did not even, like, just didn't ask her to join this uh, panel. I don't remember what it was. So rude. And she said, sounds about white. And then she said, <laughs> like, kind of like the press junkets back in the day for the film. And then she said, it was like a series of tweets. I, like, picked out the most, like, poignant ones. And she said, this thread makes me think, remember the shitty feeling of watching the other three girls present that year at the MTV Movie Awards while I sat in the audience despite having two movies coming out. These things aren't the worst to suffer, but accumulated over the years are exhausting. And then she said, which I thought was so sad. She said, I brought up award shows, etc., because being left out of these events doesn't just hurt ego. It had a direct effect on POC actors, pocketbooks, and public profiles and level of celebrity. And she said again, this isn't about self-absorption. It's about racism, priority, and speaking up is costing me money, but may help younger folk coming up down the line achieve those things. And then apparently the convention, like, she shared a screenshot where the convention tried to act like they're not going to ask her now because she called them out and was rude on Twitter. But actually, she knew from her colleague that they they were booked months ago anyway. So they were just trying to save their own ass. And then it's not just that. She's also been left off of the credits and listings on streaming services like Showtime, Netflix, and Amazon Prime Video. And she called these out too and eventually got them all corrected. But they, like, didn't put her as, like, a star. I just Googled the cast, like, just regular Google, and she doesn't show up. I cannot believe why. It's so blatant. I don't. I mean, we know why. I don't think I know why. I, 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 up until the point that she like was shit talking the movie and the experience, I can't tell you why. Like, why cast her if you don't want her at the press junkets? It doesn't make sense. And I think she said something like, "It made me sad that she was saying like it's not about ego." It's because I was like, even if it was just about ego. Mm. I would buy, like, I'd allow you. Like, I'd be like, hey, I started in your movie and you're not going to fucking credit me or invite me to the press. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like, they mostly at the time were, like, pushing Neve Campbell because she was probably the highest celebrity. But as True points out, like, if you continuously exclude black actresses or black actors, then they're never going to achieve the level of celebrity because you're mm-hmm. not letting them have public exposure. Yeah. And it's just... Neve Campbell so was barely in that movie to be Yeah. Fair, so... Yeah. If anyone shouldn't have been listed, it should have been her. But they have her name first on, like, everything, and so you would think she plays a much larger role, but she's barely in it. Also, um, Rachel True's the only one, as far as I know, this... Uh, who's like very into uh, like tarot she's into like uh, the sort of culture of witchcraft in general she has a tarot card line line it's not a clothing line but she has tarot cards coming out that's so cool I want <laughs> uh, them I think they're out actually I think they launched this year in October or something so she's um she's like the most relevant one yeah. to promote I don't know how into it she was back then I want her to come on to the podcast yeah. and give us a tarot <gasps> we love you 
Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts to be our next Witch of the Week. Brooms up, witches out.